Hey, and welcome to the Scott's Hope Podcast. We are currently in a series called Moving Forward, where Pastor Phil is preaching on the vision for our church. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Scott's Hill. So glad all of you are here this morning. In case you've forgotten who I am, my name is Phil Ortico. I serve here as a senior pastor at Scott's Hill. I haven't preached in the last three weeks. For those of you who may be first or second time guests, um, the elders and, and um, our staff have agreed that what we're going to start doing is every July, I'm going to take the month of July off from preaching. But let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean I'm on sabbatical. I've had so many people come to me, oh, you're not preaching. You must be on sabbatical. You must be vacationing. I've been here every day, been working, just been able to do some other different uh, tasks without the pressure of having to have a message, but also preparing for messages and series in the future. So I am back on the platform. I'm going to be preaching through this whole series. And then on September the 12th, we launch a new series on the book of Revelation. And that's going to carry us all the way to Christmas time. And that's going to be a fun study, a challenging study. Study, um, but a very courageous and encouraging study as we look at what God's Word has to say to us about the book of Revelation. I'm looking forward to diving into that. But before we do that, we're starting a new series this morning entitled Moving Forward. Now, if you know anything about me, you know that I love history. I love history, uh, particularly of circumstances where things are said that these things are impossible. And then you watch individuals move beyond the impossible to the possible. And then it becomes a great success story. And as a result, many people and maybe even continents are impacted by those things. I love studying history because I love to see how God is moving through history because all of history really is what? His story. It's all moving towards a specific point where he receives full glory and honor. So I love to read history. And one of the things I love to read is about the history of our nation. And I love um, particularly the years of the explorations when these guys were going about the country and discovering things that we never knew about it. It was in the early 1800s that Thomas Jefferson and our state, had, the United States, had just require, inquire, received, I should say, what was known as the Louisiana Purchase. That's my home state, by the way. And Louisiana Purchase took up most of the United States at that time. And so Thomas Jefferson wanted to know what the, was beyond the west side of the Mississippi River. So he commissioned two men, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark, to begin an expedition from the west side of the Mississippi all the way to the Pacific Ocean. He wanted them to go and map out and charter that land. No white eyes had ever seen that before. And he wanted them to find a way, a passage by way of water that would take them all the way to the Pacific Ocean. That way they can create trade routes and all of these things for the future. Their, their journey began on May 14th, 1804. And they left the St. Louis area, got on the Missouri River, and began heading west. That journey would take them two full years to complete. And as they made their way, in their minds, they thought it would be a pretty simple journey. They would get on the, the, the Missouri River, they would travel along, find its tributaries, make their way all the way to the Columbia River Basin, and find their way to the Pacific Ocean. 
But they encountered so many difficulties along the way. They had to encounter harsh weather, some of it very hot, mosquito-bitten land. Some of it was very cold and frigid where they were filled with frostbite. A lot of it was combating the elements of that, 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 the wilderness. It was dealing with poisonous snakes and grizzly bears, uh, Native Americans, some who were hostile, some who were very friendly. Meriwether Lewis and his companion, William Clark, chose a group of men who were all unmarried. That way they would have no ties to go back home. And they had a group of 45 men who were committed to this task. And these 45 men left with them. Of the 45 men, only two did not return with them. One was a young man by the name of Charles Floyd who died shortly before, after the, the expedition began. He died most likely of appendicitis. The other one was a man who chose to stay behind because he wanted to trap, he wanted to explore the country even further, and his name was John Coulter. And he became a legend in and of himself. But what they did was they traveled through all of these difficulties. And as they're going along, there were many obstacles that they encountered. And two years later, they returned successfully. And many people have to ask the question of them, what was your secret to success? How is it that you took 45 men and you returned back with 43 and you accomplished your goal? They said it was very simple. We only had one commitment. He said a lot of times when we came to these obstacles, many of the men wanted to turn back. But if we turned back, we knew that there would be certain death. Some of the men wanted to go around the obstacle. And they discovered that going around the obstacle would get them so far off track, but they would may never return to the place where they needed to be. He said, so we refused to let them go back. We refused to let them go around. We made a commitment that we were going to go through. And every obstacle that they faced, they took the tough choice of moving through and moving forward. Now, so far in their early part of the journey, that worked well. But then they came to a part of the country that nobody knew about except the Native Americans. The people living on the East Coast had no idea these obstacles even existed. And so there they are going down the, the rivers in their canoes and they came across what we know as the Rockies. No one had ever seen it before. And everyone wanted to go back. And they said, no, we're going through. And they ditched their canoes and put on hiking boots they no longer were river rats, but from that point on, they would be mountain climbers. And the rest is history, because here's what they understood. Everything in front of them would be different than everything behind them. And they made it through. You know, we're not a lot unlike the people, those who traveled across this country to try to discover what this country was made of. We too, the natural tendency of the human heart is to take the path of easiest resistance, don't we? We want to take the path that is the easiest for us. Some of us, when we get to difficult situations, we want to turn back and we say, no, 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 the cost is much too high. 
Some of us want to try to go around it. We try to finagle our way around it and find the easiest path. But many times, God in his sovereignty and his grace and his omniscience, he moves us to places where we cannot go back, where we cannot go around it. And the only place of victory for us is to go through it, is to keep moving forward. This wasn't true just 217 years ago of Lewis and Clark. It's not only true of us today, but it was true of the people of God 5,000 years ago. Let me explain this. You remember when Moses was the deliverer of the people of Israel when they were in bondage in Egypt. The Israelites were enslaved for 430 years God raises up Moses as the deliverer. He goes and he declares the message of letting the people go, and Pharaoh's heart becomes hardened. And so what does God do? He sends plague after plague after plague until there are 10 plagues. And after the 10th plague, Pharaoh said, no, 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 I can't take this anymore. You're free to go. And not only did they leave with their families and their livestock, but they left with the wealth of Egypt. Because the people blessed them so they can leave. And God takes these people and there's a great time of celebration. But what God does is he leads them not in the easiest path for their deliverance, but in a very difficult path. The easiest path would have been to the land of the Philistines and they would have very quickly made it to their destination. But God knew the propensity of their heart that their fear would want them to turn back. In fact, in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, for God said, least the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So where did God lead them? He led them to the edge of the Red Sea. And the people must have been thinking, you know, God really isn't a military genius here. He led us to the Red Sea. And every military leader understands that you never lead people in a way where there's no retreat. There was no retreat for them. And as they get to the edge of the Red Sea, they cry out to Moses and they say this to him. They said to Moses, it is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in a wilderness? We, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Can you believe that? 430 years in slavery, crying for a a deliverer. God gives them a deliverer. He sends them to a difficult place. Now, all of a sudden, those things that were the bad years become the good old days. And the ones who were the oppressors now become the opportunities for their survival. It's amazing that they did that. And so what did he do? They're complaining and they're griping. And Moses says this to them. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have to only be what? Silent. I love, I love the way God speaks. I'll put you here. You'll never see them again. Now shut up. <laughs> Quit your whining. Quit your complaining. I brought you to a tough place, but I brought you here to bring you through it. 
And then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. To go forward. There was no other way. But God knew the stubbornness of their heart. He knew the propensity of their hearts. He knew that they would rather go back and be slaves than to trust in God. Why is it so important for these people, God's people, today to keep moving forward? Let me give you four things real quick. Moving forward in God's plan deploys my obedience to him. When I step out and move forward in what God has called me to do, I am activating my obedience to God. And we love to say, oh, I love God. I want to follow God. I am a follower of Christ. But when Jesus calls us to a tough place and wants us to step out, our obedience demonstrates the depth of our true love for him. Do I really love him? Well, I do, but I'm not going there. No, it demonstrates your obedience. And when God is moving us to a place, we walk in obedience. Here's the second thing. Moving forward in God's plan demonstrates my confidence in his ability. When God tells me to go through something that may be a difficult thing, not only does it measure my depth of love through my obedience, it measures my absolute confidence that he is going to get me through this thing. If God says to go through it, then I have confidence that he will make sure it happens. Here's the third thing. Moving forward in God's plan dictates my future blessings. I want you to hear this. If the people of Israel would have stayed right there, they would have created a self-fulfilling prophecy in that they would have been killed and buried in the wilderness. But by their obedience to God and going forward, it dictates their blessings. I want to tell you, Chuck Swindoll said this so many years ago. He said this, blessings are always hinged on obedience. It's true. And when I trust God, I can rest that there will be blessings. Now, I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel here, okay? I'm talking about the fact that it delights the heart of the Father. And when it delights the heart of the Father, he blesses his children. And he gives them things that honor them as they honor him. As we move forward, we experience the blessings of God in our lives. But when we stay put and we refuse to obey and we stay in our little comfort zones where we want to protect our securities then we miss out on some of the greatest blessings that God ever has for his people. Here's the last thing. Moving forward in God's plan displays the greatness and the glory of God. He said, these Egyptians you will never see again. But he continues, and here's what else he says. And everyone will know that I am God, and I will receive the glory. You see, what happens is when you and I walk in obedience and we keep going forward where God is leading us, he receives the praise. He receives the glory. And the chief end of man, the chief end of women is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so as we walk through these things, as we move forward, whatever those difficulties may be in your life, These are the the things that we can have confidence in. Now, why am I sharing all of this 
to set the scene this morning. We have just come through a difficult year, haven't we? I mean, we have seen change after change after change. And because of this pandemic, we have seen so many changes in our culture. We've seen so many changes in our families. Your families have been impacted by this. Many of you, you recognize that it's been an impact on your children. It's, it's completely disrupted the education system in our country. It has disrupted so many things and even to the point where there are mental health issues that many people are going through. We have been through this difficult time. Some of your businesses have been impacted severely. And you know that some of you, you cannot keep employees during these days. We have seen that it impacted so many aspects of our culture, particularly in the political realm, where all of this is being used as a political weapon to achieve purposes far beyond the danger of the pandemic itself. But we've also seen the church impacted. The church in the United States has been impacted because of this situation that we've been through in the last year. Let me give you some recent statistics that have come out since um, the impact of COVID on the local church. Number one, George Barner just came out with these stats and he says one in five churches have permanently closed their doors last year. One in five. 20% of churches in America today are no longer functioning as churches. Because of the pandemic, for whatever reasons, they are ceasing to operate as a body of Christ. Secondly, one in four regular attenders are not returning after COVID. 25% of regularly active church people have not come back to church since COVID. It is not just true of this church. It is true of every church. Jim Dunn and I were talking about a mutual friend that we have. He pastors a church of 4,000 people in, in Florida. Right now, after all of this, they're running about 400. And we're seeing this across the board. And we're finding that people who regularly attended in the past of saying, you know what? No, no, it's just too hard. Here's what they're saying. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to watch church services with my family in my living room, in my pajamas, eating my Cheerios. We'll give you Cheerios if you want. But please don't wear your bathrobe. Although Jeff has done that once. Here's what they're saying. We're going to stay home. We're not coming back. But let me tell you, stats say that's not true. 63% of people who do not attend any longer do not watch services online. They're not even watching. And we've seen how it's impacted the body of Christ. But here's another alarming one. Pastors are resigning at an alarming rate all across the United States, particularly older pastors like myself are resigning across the United States. Why are they resigning? At least three reasons. One, decision fatigue. So many decisions have been made in the last year about do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? Do we social distance? Do we not social distance? Do we have a mask only service? How long do we have these services? And how long are we supposed to go? What happens if this happens? What about the vaccine? Do we, where do we stand on vaccinations? All of the decisions that have been made have worn leaders out. We have experienced that here. Political division. 
This year has been a year unlike any in the life of the church where churches are literally divided when it comes to politics. And we've never seen anything of that in the past. And then the social division. With all of the social media and all of the posting and all of the anger and everything that's been put out, pastors have been having to put fires out. And so as a result, you know what's happened? Many of them are calling it quits in ministry and say, I'm done. But there's great news. Because in the midst of all of this struggle, there are churches that are doing incredibly well. There are churches that are uh, reaching people that they've never reached before. There are churches that people's lives are being changed every single Sunday. And I'm looking at the faces of one of those churches. I'm looking at what God has been doing in the last year. We have all experienced it. We have felt the online services only. You know what that has caused us to do? We've invested in our online services. And as a result of that, we have been reaching people online who are now coming to Scotts Hill because of what they've seen online. We've spent $40,000 upping our online services, hiring a staff member to oversee all of our online. And as a result, the quality has gone through the roof, and now we are reaching people from all over the country. A lady from Ohio has been watching us online, moved here, and she said, I found my church before I found my house. Isn't that great? Yeah. We are watching our numbers come back with our children and our students' ministries as they're approaching those pre-COVID days where those children are excited about coming together to meet together as a body of Christ. We're experiencing growth in our worship services at 9.30. We're 100% full, usually using an overflow because of that. In this this service, we're about 80% full. And this is the summertime. Wait till we hit September and we're going through Revelation where all of you are going to be excited about Jesus coming back. And we're not going to be able to fit everyone. Do you know we have 150 people right now going through our new members portal? 150 people who are saying, I want to be a part of this church. I want to be a part of what God is doing here. And as they're moving through that, we have new people who are coming to want to be a part of this body. Every single week, I meet new people, and I can't even remember them all. We have baptized more this year than we did pre-COVID because of the number of people that God is transforming and changing into the likeness of Jesus. And on July 4th, we baptized 10 people that morning, and we hardly go a Sunday without baptizing people. So God is doing some great things. And let me tell you, every church, every church where God is blessing, they have one thing in common. They're moving forward. They're moving forward. They're not going to let the situations of the day stop their mission. They're not going to let the struggles that people are going through to keep them from fulfilling the purpose that God has for them as the body of Christ. They're not going to let a cancel culture silence us. And we continue to move forward. And all the churches that are moving forward have two things in common. 
And they stay with these two things. Matter of fact, they are called sticky churches because these two things stick with them regardless of what happens. And here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to set this up as we move forward in our moving forward series of two things that we need to stay true to. For those of you who are long-term members here, this is a refresher course for you. Because we need to be refreshed. Sometimes we need to be recalibrated when we're in some difficult days. For those of you who are new, this is going to be wonderful news for you. Because you're about to discover who we are and what we're about. And that nothing is going to cause us to go back or to go around. Because everything in front of us is different than everything that was behind us. We're moving forward. So what are the two things? Number one, the churches that keep moving forward stick to their vision. They stick to their vision. There's one clear vision that they have. Now let me tell you what a vision is. A vision is seeing the end result. A vision is saying this is who we want to be. And we always move towards who God wants us to be. Now a vision is very, very important. We understand that Solomon tells us about it. He says this, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. That word says they just scatter about. I love the way the King James puts it. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And where there is no vision, not only do the people perish, but where there's no vision, people find another parish. <laughs> they want to find somewhere that knows where they're going. And so we know that we need a clear vision, and we're going to stick to that vision. Now, without a vision, it says they're scattered, they're unrestrained. It reminds me when I was a kid, we, 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 uh, the toys we had when I was a kid were not the most technical toys that you find today. But there was this one toy that all of us boys loved, and we hope we always got it at Christmas, or we would eventually get one at Christmas. It was the NFL football game. And you remember that you got your little figures. Those of you who remember the NFL football game, what was it that caused the players to move? Vibrated. You would put all these little players in a line. You'd plug it in. You'd turn it on and the board would vibrate. And all the players would start moving. Not really, because there was no control. One would go over here by the fans and just wave at them, you know. Those were the pre-badamas. And so they're over here by the fans. And then you got these other two, they hook arms and they're just going in circles, man. Woo, man, we're having a great time. And they're just running around in circles. And then you got some that are just piling on top of each other. And while they're all doing that, if you were smart, you would take the guy with the ball and you would move him just right. So he would go. Well, what happens was there was no direction. A lot of churches are like that today. There's no vision. They don't know where they're going. And when you don't know where you're going, it's easy to go back and it's easy to go around. And God is saying, no, I want you to go through. So when you have a vision, a vision is important for three reasons. Let me tell you why. A clear vision drives us. It always drives us. We're driven by something. Every church is driven by something. Some churches are driven by the past. Oh, if we can just have that again. If we can just have that ministry again. Oh, if we can just do those things again. If we can have that event again, and they live in the past. Let me tell you, life doesn't happen in the past. It happens in the present to prepare us for the future. Some are driven by the past. Some are driven by programs. 
Oh, if we just had the right program, this program or this program or this program. But the problem is programs are just tools, a means to the end. But in a lot of churches, programs have become the end in itself. And that which was a tool now is an idol. And they're stuck. And there's this sense that we're moving, but we're going nowhere. Or some churches are driven by personalities. You know what I'm talking about? The personality that is the face of the church. The personality that everybody's drawn to. The personality that if he's not there, nobody wants to be there. The personality that is all built upon him. The danger with a church built on a personality that is that if there's a moral failure, or there's a character flaw, or there's a removal, or there's a death, the entire ministry implodes. All you have to do is go look at the history of Mars Hill and see what took place there when there was the worship of one personality and everything collapsed. But we're not to be driven by those. God can use our past. God can use programs. He can use personalities. But we're to be driven by purpose and one clear vision. We have one vision at Scott's Hill. Somebody asked me a few years ago, Phil, what's going to be our vision this year? I said, well, that is an easy answer. The same it was last year. The same it was the year before that. The same it was 15 years ago. Scotts Hill has one vision, and I want to remind you of that today. Our vision defines us. It determines the process, but here it is. Our vision is to join God in his work of transforming lives. That's our vision. That's our vision. Simple. Our vision is to join God in his work of transforming lives. Now, you might think, of all the vision statements we could have created, why do we create that vision statement? Here's why. Number one, it's biblical. It's biblical. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, but we all, with unveiled faces or being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We get this vision statement from this passage. Moses is, was, was in a previous passage, was, had a veil covering his face because he's been in the glory of God. But then that wore off. But he's saying, but we all, we all with unveiled faces, we all are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Here's our goal. Our goal at Scotts Hill is that every single individual would experience the transformation of God's power in their lives. That's our vision. The end goal is that every believer would come to be more like Christ. The end goal is that every non-believer would come to be transformed into the image of Christ. Now, there are four things that hold this together. Number one, this vision is inclusive. He says, we all, nobody is to be left out. This is not for some spiritual elite group. This is for all of us, every single one of us. You may be a mature Christian. God's not done with you yet. You may be an immature Christian. God is working in your life. You may not even be a believer but God is preparing and communicating the revelation of his love for you through his son on the cross that you might be transformed. 
So it is inclusive. Are we an inclusive church? Yes, in the sense that we want everyone to experience the transformation of God. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter what their background is. Doesn't matter what they hold to. Doesn't necessarily mean we believe that or we would support that or we would encourage those beliefs, but it is our desire that we would see people changed. That's the heart of this vision. It is inclusive, but secondly, it's initiated by God. He says this, we are being transformed. That's in a passive voice. A passive voice in the Greek means it's not something somebody can do for you. It's not something that you can do for yourself. It's something only God can do. You can't transform yourself. I can't transform you. The person sitting next to you cannot transform you. I wish we could because I would do a lot of transforming if I could. You would too. I would transform some of you Clemson fans into LSU fans, especially Alabama fans into LSU fans. That ain't happening. But transformation is something only God can do. He's the one that brings about that transformation process. So here's what we understand, that while we desire all people to be transformed, this is a supernatural work of God in people's lives. And it only comes through the Spirit of God working through people. He initiates that. But here's the third thing we need to see about it. It's incremental. It's also in the present tense, which means keep on allowing God to transform you. Do you hear that? It's not that we believe in transformed lives. We join God in his work of transforming present tense because there's never a stop to God's transformative work in the lives of his children. The process of sanctification goes until we take our last breath, then we step into glorification. But we are always being transformed and the goal is to keep on allowing the spirit of God to change me. Every single day of my life, I submit myself to him and I keep saying I've not arrived, I'll never arrive, I cannot reach perfection in spite of what some false teachers are saying in these days. But we can pursue the ideal so that we can be greater transformed. That's the goal. We never quit but here's the last point of it. It's intentional. We are transformed into the image of Jesus. There's the goal. That we would be like Jesus. That we would have the heart of Christ. That we would have the compassion of Christ. That we would have the mind of Christ. That we would have the words of Christ that we would have the aroma of Christ, that we would be hidden away in Jesus in such a way that when the Father looks at us, he sees his own son. And when the world looks at us, they see loving, compassionate, non-judgmental people who want them to experience the transformation of an incredibly loving God. That's who we are. So when you hear us say, joining God in his work of transforming lives, it begins with me. 
and it moves on to the heartbeat that every person will experience God's transformative work. That's our vision. And that should never change. So what do we do with it? Two things. Number one, we learn it. We learn it. I want to encourage you to memorize that if you haven't already done it. You've heard it so many times, and there's an old saying, when, when we get tired of it, then you're just now catching on to it. We're never going to be tired of it. Never. We may sound like a broken record, but there's one drum we will beat here, and that is we are joining God in his work of transforming our lives that we would be more like Christ every single day. Learn it. Memorize it. Secondly, live it. Live it. Every day, wake up and make a choice. Father, today, I allow you to change me. Use whatever it is in your power to transform me to the Lord Jesus. Now, you better be very careful when you pray that prayer. Because that day, you're going to have some of the most unexpected people to be used in the sanctification process of your life. I.e., driving on Market Street. <laughs> to make you more like Christ. That's our vision. Our vision will never change. So if you're here and this is new to you, this is who we are. This is who we will be. We're always going to be in the process of allowing God to change us. But here's the second thing we need to learn through this. Churches that keep moving forward stick to a set of values. You see, there's not only a vision, but there's a set of values that undergird that vision. And matter of fact, these values are going to be the measuring points, the metric system, if you would, to determine if transformation is taking place in your life. In fact, these values that we use here, we call our core values. And there are seven core values that we operate by. In fact, we don't do anything that's not within one of these core values. Now, these core values are simply spiritual disciplines or what theologians call spiritual formation in the life of every believer. If you're a child of God, these should already be part of your life and should be growing in frequency and in depth. And so here are our values at Scotts Hill. And you notice that we've put them in active tenses that involves the corporate gathering. We study God's word. Unapologetically, we believe that God's word is the authoritative, absolute truth, inerrant, inspired breath of God. And it's all we need for authority and for life and for direction. We will never move away from that truth. We study God's word. We grow through discipleship. We want to be accountable to one another in small groups where we walk together with one another. We engage in worship. We want to exalt God when we gather. We want to edify one another. We want to evangelize the lost as they're here, hearing us sing of the great things of God. We seek God in prayer. It is through prayer that we understand his heart and he transforms our hearts. We live on mission. We will adopt the, the mindset of a missionary everywhere we go. We love others through service. We're going to be involved in using our spiritual gifts so that we can build up the body of Christ. And we give with generosity. 
We're going to be some of the most generous people that we can be because of what God has generously given to us. These are our core values. And for the next four or five weeks, we're going to be looking, unpacking these values. We're going to couple them together in the next several weeks because in these values, we're going to give you the direction of where we're going in the days ahead. We have got to move forward. Now, let me tell you what COVID has done for us. Even though there has been great, exciting things that God has done in the midst of this church in the last year, there are some things that have happened that have gotten us off track. We're off track. We're not going the direction that we need to go, specifically with our ministries. And let me explain two of those. One of those is the volunteer base of our church and every church has been decimated because of COVID. You realize that we've got a lot of people who once served that are no longer serving. And as a, as a result, people have grown comfortable and not doing anything in the life of the church. And we need people to serve in all areas of our ministry. And we're going to address that next week. But also, unintentionally, COVID has created a drop-off mentality in our church that previously was not there. Let me give you an example of that. Pre-COVID, we had connect groups on campus for adults. We had ministry deliveries for children and for middle schoolers and high schoolers. And then we had corporate gathering. People would go to a group, into a delivery class, and then they would come and worship together as a family. But because of COVID, most all of our small groups have moved off campus, which is a good thing because we are in the communities now. But because we don't have connect groups on campus, parents are having to make a choice of a couple of things. And here's the choice that parents have come down to. They've come down to, we will attend a worship service, our children will go to a ministry delivery, and then we go home. Now, we're not talking about preschoolers. Um, we bless the Lord that there's a place for them. So uh, um, we love them, but we're investing in them in there. But here's their struggle. Some parents are waiting in their cars so their kids can go to a delivery and they can worship together. But the majority of parents each have one, and then they go home. If we continued in that way, and parents did that while their kids are in school, in grade school, or in middle school, or in high school, it won't be until they're college students that the families again worship together as a family. And so we have inadvertently, through this, created that. We need to remedy that. Those two things are off the mark. So here's what we're going to do next week. We're going to look at the two core values that will get us back on track. And we want to cast a vision next week of how that impacts us here in what we do on Sunday mornings moving forward. It is exciting. It is going to be a wonderful opportunity for us to get back where we need to be. It's going to be a fresh approach and how we're going to do that. But you will find out next week what that means. So come back next week. So you can hear what God is doing in moving us back on track in those areas. And then each of the following weeks, we've got another thing we're unpacking and we're sharing with you. Next week, you will get a publication that will give you an outline of what's going to be happening as we move forward. But here's what I want to end with today. 
I want to end with a commitment. We as leaders are committed to sticking to the vision and the values that God has given us. I'm going to talk to covenant members right now. I'm asking all covenant members that you would renew your commitment to these things. That you would just say to the Lord, Father, I want to join you in your work of transforming lives. And these are the things that you have for me as tools to make me more like Jesus. I commit to the vision and to the values that I might be hidden away in Christ and I might be an impact on others around me. Covenant members, I'm asking you to renew your commitment. That's not to say that you have not been committed to that. It is to say today, Father, I renew that. For those of you who may be thinking about Scotts Hill, I want to encourage you to go to our Membership Matters class and get involved in a church family that will love you and walk with you and encourage you and make a commitment to that vision and those values. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, I want to encourage you to consider Jesus. You see, I can't change you. No ministries we do here will ever change you. Only Jesus can change you. Some of you have tried the things of the world and it hasn't worked. Some of you have tried behavior modification and you've not been able to maintain it. But only Jesus can change you. And I would say to you today to consider Christ, to surrender your life to him, and watch how he will change you. Just where you are. You don't have to go clean yourself up. You don't have to take a theology class. You don't have to attend church. Right where you are, right now, say, I surrender. My life's a mess. And I know you're the only one who can change me. I want to encourage you to do that. Before we leave in a moment, we have some tents outside in the small parking lot that many of you have seen when you came in. I want to encourage you to go look for a place of service. If you're not already serving, if you're serving somewhere, we're not talking to you. But for those maybe who have gotten off track with all of this disruption in the past year, to say, Lord, I'm stepping out. I'm moving forward. I want to give obedience. I want to be like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the simple truth of your word. And I know I skipped through some things real quickly just because of time. I ask, Father, that you would take what we heard today and Father, although this is a vision-casting thing and I am not entirely good at it, but I pray that you would take the truth of what your heart is for Scotts Hill and we would go through, move forward for your glory and for your honor. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If this message blessed you and you now have a desire to follow Jesus, I encourage you to go to scottshill.org slash next steps so that we can follow up with you. Also, if you like the message, feel free to share it on social media with your friends and family. God bless.